Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in with his legs. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. And welcome to the Here We Go podcast, the podcast of middle-aged men who have nothing better to do on the Wednesday evening than to uh, do a bit of grumping and gum grinding over uh, another uh, uninspiring, shall we say, performance from Aberdeen. So uh, helping me to break down the result from tonight and maybe look ahead at what that may mean in the future, we have our uh, regular co-hosts, Martin Clunas. How are you doing? Um, I was doing all right until about, um, well, 20 minutes before the end of that game, I suppose. But yeah, we'll we'll get there. And Richard Hay. Richard, how are you? Gum grinding? You're assuming we've all got our own teeth still. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I used to uh, have my own teeth. Back, back at the time then, it would have been teeth grinding. And uh, <laughs> decades of watching Aberdeen have... Resulted you, in it being gum grinding, grinding instead. With, you don't, are you grinding your gums or the other gums? I, I don't know <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a complete state, Richard. Um, so we'll start at the the, the present moment. Um, we have uh, quickly assembled uh, following the the final whistle at McDermott Park tonight, and um, Aberdeen ended up drawing one one with St Johnston. Um, maybe not a lot to speak about in terms of the first half, uh, uh, a, a fairly uh, grinding affair with very few, if, if, if any, really chances being created by either team. Um, maybe starting at the beginning, Richard, um, the, the same starting 11 and same formation pretty much relied upon as what we saw in the, the previous two games away to Clyde and Ross County. Um, no great surprises there perhaps, but, um, uh, maybe, uh, a suggestion that, um, St. Johnston were well prepared for what we were going to be throwing at them. Well, yeah, I think he's keen to get back to that consistency of selection because if you look at um, that fabled winning run um, that we went on towards the end of last season, it was, broadly speaking, with much the same personnel for most of the games and obviously with the same system as well. So I think he's keen to, to land upon a system. And yes, after the success at Ross County, it was kind of understandable that we'd go that again at Clyde, although obviously... One up front against Clyde is a little bit different story to one up front away to County or away to St Johnston. And again, tonight, um, I, I think he's desperate to try and get a system that beds in, that works, that allows us to be um, more dominating in games. And, well, OK, let's focus on the positives. For the first eight or nine minutes tonight, I thought that it was a promising start, actually, before it really, really fell off a precipice. 
Um, you know, we we were passing it about quite nicely. We were getting it into the striker. He was laying it off. We were getting people around the striker. But as I say, after the first nine ten minutes, St Johnston go into the game more better at closing us down, more effective at stopping that ball getting into the final third, uh, stopping us finding any space. And again, we our pass completion rate was probably pretty good, but that's because for most of that first half, we just didn't have any ambition on the ball. We weren't prepared to really take the risks that we might need to take to find a man in space or to beat a man. You know, the only real moment of inspiration was Jack McKenzie breaking forward on the left and, and nearly finding the right ball across. But other than that, just just very little ambition and intensity, I suppose, is probably the word as well. We just let that game from about the 10th minute until the equaliser really just pass us by. And it's not good enough. Again, the positives about County, I suppose, were we... We did start well, but we kept that intensity going. But of course, we we scored at that point, and we got a quick second. So the so the tail of the game worked in our favour, because it then allowed us to have a bit more control of the game, not necessarily be quite so much on the front foot, just be able to control the game without really looking in any danger. Tonight, just nothing. Even when we got the gift of the uh, penalty kick in the second half, it, we didn't kick on at that point. You know, I thought once it went back to 1-1, there was more urgency. But where was that urgency, as I say, between minute 10 and minute whatever it was, 70? Yeah, Martin, the the, the, the same personnel and formation as we saw in the away games against Ross County and Clyde. But I think what Richard has touched upon is quite right. The main difference between um, how they performed against Ross County, where they did not only demonstrate an awful lot of control on the ball um but there was uh, a a pace and a tempo to their play that, that that went along with that which um saw them really put the opposition under pressure and, and and create a lot more chances um that was not seen away from home against Clyde and again tonight where it just seemed an awful lot more slow an awful lot more ponderous um and when you're playing Clyde you can perhaps rely upon the fact that you you can you know, comfortably dominate a lot of possession. And then um, as long as you're comfortable, um, you can know that even if you're maybe only creating a few chances against a team a few tiers down, there's a good chance that you'll end up being able to create a, a chance or two that will see you across the line. Um, it, I didn't think it was a lot more different from this, from from how, it, how things went against St. Johnston. But once you're playing against Premiership opposition and... I think it's been a, a recurring theme over uh, a number of away games over several years. Um, unless unless you do have that pace and tempo to your game, slow and ponderous doesn't really cut it. No, and it certainly doesn't cut it against um, against a Craig Levine team as well. I mean, look, I suppose, like Richard says there, the first you know, eight, nine, ten minutes, whatever, um, we, kind of, we did kind of start a bit faster. So, so there was some, you know, dare I say, decent play then. And I suppose the theory is to, you know, start fast, get something out of the game before Levine ball sucks the life out of the game. Um, but you kind of just do that for you know, nine minutes. You know, you've got to, you've got to try and keep going. You've got to be moving moving up the pitch a bit quicker. Um, I think they did that against Ross County to an extent. Um, like you mentioned there, I mean, you're going to control the game for long, long spells against against like Clyde on Friday. 
So you can afford to maybe you know, slow it down when you need to because they're gonna they're not gonna try they're, they weren't really gonna try and come forward at you a lot. Um but like St Johnston, when, when you know what you're gonna get from them and I, I just it's like exactly as Richard said. It's not good enough. Um, that type of performance, that first, you no, know, that first half. Once the, the first ten minutes is out of the way, we you know, didn't didn't do enough. Didn't try to commit anything. Didn't try to get the ball forward. And it's it's a problem is when we did try and get the ball forward, it's too slow. Um, so you're allowing, you know, decent SPFL level players time to reset. So when we once we get control of the ball. We take we take our time. Nobody tries to break at pace. Nobody tries to get up there. Dare I even suggest a fucking long ball to try and you no know, to try and catch them out. But there wasn't really anything out of that. It was just you no. Know, it was slow. To, you know, really, really ponderous. And then you know, and the game was just. I mean, that first half was. There was some eye bleeding stuff in that first half, and it's it's really you know it's really it's really not good enough. I mean, I I know obviously we've no. We, you, we're coming in, coming in, having won the last two games, uh, but tonight, away at St Johnston, it's a team that, it's a team that we know. We, okay, we, the games we know aren't good, but we need to start performing better, better down there. Um, you know, we can't be surprised at those at how they set up and the football that they play anymore. No, we've been doing this long enough. Uh, this podcast long enough, Martin. You've been on enough enough episodes, and unfortunately, I think you've been on quite a few post St Johnston ones. Where we've whined, where we've whined about Tommy Wright's brand of football, we've whined about Callum Davidson's brand of football, and we, no, we've whined about Craig Levine's brand of football. But it's not, it's that's not their problem. It's Aberdeen's problem to break him down and try and do something. And yet again, we didn't. I think as well with a setup, and it was something which was, I suppose, highlighted and talked about when the team lines came out for Ross County away, because everyone was saying, okay, where's the width? squad. 4-5-1, fine but where's the width? Who are the guys that are actually going to stretch the park for you and make it work against a team who are probably going to have a defensive edge to them? But you know, again, fortunately, because we get that first goal, because the, we then get the confidence from that and push on two ahead very quickly afterwards, that setup really works for us in that scenario. Whereas in a game like tonight, if we fall out of plan A, plan B is tends to be restricted to hoping your fullbacks can really create something from wide because that's your width under this setup. You know, you had Paul Varro on the right-hand side, basically, hugging. It was kind of an inside-out role that they appear to be they appear to be having. It's like when, we're, when we have the ball, the expectation is the fullbacks will overlap and Paul Varro will come inside. But it, it's not a natural position for him, and, and you can tell that. And obviously it's replicated on the other side as well. So, you know, we, we had that one moment that I'd alluded to earlier with Jack McKenzie, but because it's not a winger doing that, you're looking for a fullback. And obviously, again, on Friday night, second goal comes from Devlin being able to do that. And again, more of the better stuff came from Devlin and McKenzie coming forward. It's, it's asking a lot of guys whose first thought, whose first mindset isn't always an attacking one. So... You know, everyone gave this formation praise and they switched to a back forward praise. Oh, that's what you should have been doing from day one. But it comes with problems because the personnel that we have in the squad, obviously set for a 3-5-2, we just don't have the sort of wingers, the sort of creative wingers that are going to be able 
to allow us to break out a plan B if plan A looks like being stopped quite easily by the opposition. Yeah, so obviously a real str struggle and um, eye-bleedingly unentertaining first 45 minutes, but by comparison, uh, a football game broke out in the second half. Um, I think the major talking points would have to be the two VAR decisions. Um, now, uh, I think we've been uh, pretty w well uh, known for our uh, outspoken views on our opinions of uh, VAR in the past. Um, on this occasion, um, it's uh, really come to Aberdeen's benefit on a couple of occasions. Um, uh, and both of them involving who the person who may well turn out to have been Aberdeen's man of the match tonight in Liam Gordon. Um, uh, a, a couple of fouls on Slobodan Rubicic, the first of them, uh, meant that um, uh, a goal by Graham Carey got ruled out, which stops St Johnson going 1-0 up, and then a second one giving us a penalty. Um, so first of all, Richard, on, on the actual decisions themselves, I don't know if you had an opportunity to actually look back on what happened with regards to them, but... Um, um, are you, well, you'll undoubtedly be happy that VAR intervened on both occasions, but correct decisions? Not even clear-cut ones, you know, not ones that you would obviously say 100% 100% foul. I think marginally, yes, but on the sort of balance of probabilities, yes. Is that enough? I don't, it's not, put it this way, it's not the sort of thing that if in the pre-VAR era you had looked at that goal again I don't think you'd be howling for a foul on um, Rubicic when you watched it again. And the same goes for when that corner comes into the box from, from Conor Barron. Initially, I actually thought it had been given for a handball, but uh, because it didn't really look enough in terms of that foul to suggest it was a definite foul, a definite penalty kick. Um, yeah, again, on the balance of it, probably the right decision, but certainly not the clarity and the clear-cutness side that I'd want to be changing the original on-field decision and what we were kind of promised at the outset but but there we are we're, we've, we're in a system now where the games are being re-refereed as opposed to the idea at the outset which was sold to us which was one of clear and obvious errors being being picked up only and only that so you know I would get rid of it tomorrow frankly I don't think it's proving value for money I don't think it's adding to the game in any way um, yeah, we were on the right side of it tonight, uh, but even that wasn't enough to give us the three points. Yeah, and that must be the frustrating thing for everybody, Martin, is that even though on this occasion we've had a couple of VAR checks that have actually fallen in our favour and a game that, had it not been available to us, we'd have likely been 1-0 down at, at that time, and as it transpired, we ended up being 1-0 up, but the most frustrating thing about that is that even that wasn't enough because we ended up conceding a very soft goal near the end of the game. Well, one of the things I think will is probably going to get forgotten about as well is that right that the, the disallowed the first goal in the game the disallowed St Johnston goal as well. Um, you know, the uh, the actual St Johnston goal was some terrible goalkeeping by Kel Roos. The disallowed goal was some atrocious keeping from him as well. I think, and that's going to get that's going to get forgotten about. He, I think, he had an absolute nightmare tonight, um, and you know, this score, um, the header from Kelton's, 
yeah. I just what is he doing? Like coming out flapping like that, he's no. He's he's a, a big keeper. He should be should be able to command his box. Um, instead, coming like that, never never a chance in a million years was he getting that ball as well. So he needs to make you know if if you're going to if you're going to come, you need to be one hundred percent sure. You know if you have to take out your own defender to get to the ball, you have to do that. But instead, he just comes comes out a complete flap at it. Never a chance in a million years of getting it. Like I said. Um, and it's a it's a fairly easy header for the guy to knock it in, and you no, know, in a in a game where VAR has given you two uh, two you no know, gifts, you know just absolute you no know, presence there um, to fight and you find yourselves you know getting away with a concede a goal, then getting a, a, a very soft penalty to put you one 0 up, for your keeper to then just have. What I can only assume is absolute brain failure. Fifteen minutes later, uh, and you fight to let to go to send put us one one with ten minutes to go. It's just ridiculous. I mean, look, I know I know it's pretty much an open secret that he's going to be going at the Bruce is going to be going at the end of the season. Uh, but you generally start to think that that good run of form that he had last season was just luck, and you know there is a bit of a bit of a calamity in there because. You know, I'd like to think I would love to think he's a he's a really good keeper, and but it, the more you the more you're seeing him now, there's more mistakes, there's more what more just sort of like him not being assured with the ball, um, and you no know, high priority is getting an, another keeper sorted, if whether it's January or whether it's for next season. Yeah, I mean a lot of people did have hard ons for Kelly Lewis last season, and he did have three months of vastly improved form, and that aligned with a defence that were going to put their bodies on the line week in, week out, allowed us to eke, up some, eke out some very important victories towards the end of last season. And it was key, absolutely key, to have that successful defensive unit, particularly with the sort of game plan I think Barry Robson wants to adopt, which is largely a counter-attacking one. But, yeah, tonight, that and the goal we actually do end up conceding, it's even more, it's more fundamental than a flap, because he's actually, he's he doesn't get to the point where it's a flap. He's he's misjudged the height of it and he's come out he's been beaten to it by the St Johnson striker as it comes across because he's not coming and taking it at its highest point he's, he's coming sort of to try and collect it at the point below where the striker can head it in it's just a, a total fundamental misjudgment a very a flawed goalkeeper I think I've not been particularly happy with him from, from day one to be honest with you I, I guess um when you have a situation where you have a, a defence that's struggling, I think a keeper that will come and be commanding in his box is worth his weight in gold. And I think his reluctance to do that uh, exacerbated some of our difficulties last season. What he did have in his favour last season was some very favourable um, XG numbers in terms of XG prevented. So you, that line about being a good shot stopper, which really is the minimum expectation for any goalkeeper, you could make that argument based on the numbers last season but this this season it is the opposite and he is now costing us m more goals than he is he is stopping and tonight's and you're right the dislike goal he should be keeping that out as well um i almost gave it he should be doing better there but i stopped myself it's it's a real worry i'm trying to you know if you, if you come up with a with a signing that typifies the dave cormack era I mean, obviously, you've got your obvious examples and your, your um, funny ha-ha examples, Ronnie Hernandez, oh, how, how hilarious. 
all that this sort of classic Moneyball stuff. But I think Calavus, in some respects, could be the man for me that would be the the signing that really exemplifies this period. A guy that was sold to us as somebody that would come in, be more confident with the ball at his feet than than Joe uh, than Joe Lewis, bring that surety back to the defence. Big commanding guy, be be sure with the ball in the air. He's been anything but. It's been the kind of opposite of what we were promised, and that frankly is quite the tale of the Dave Cormack era so far. I would say. Indeed. So we'll come back to what that result means in relation to our our standing in the league table um, when we have a look at um, our what our next league fixture is going to be at the weekend. But before we move on to that, I want to take a, a brief step backwards in time to last Friday night and uh, Aberdeen getting what ended up being a comfortable 2-0 victory over Clyde. Now, I took a few pelters on social media in my immediate reaction to that game when I described that as a dire performance. I think on, on reflection, I, I'll admit I was a bit harsh in that assessment. But um, uh, Richard... Th- I think the concerns that I was feeling, so even though maybe dire might not have been the best description, maybe dire for the game as opposed to the performance, but as as we've ended up seeing tonight as well, I think it was just more that kind of disgruntlement with against the team, which is quite comfortably adrift at the bottom of League Two. And when you consider that by being adrift, that means adrift of Elgin City. Um, so this is the kind of standard we're, we're talking about here. I, yeah, I, I think I most people would probably have got a bit. A kind of, I was right, belatedly. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of half expected that. Um, I did think it was a little bit over the top on Friday. But what I will say is that the way in which that team basically coasted for the last half hour on Friday, that team and that manager don't have nearly enough credit in the bank to do that, as uh, we saw on Friday night. What the Aberdeen fans wanted to see was a continuation of what they'd seen against Ross County. They wanted to see more goals. They wanted to see that intensity for the 90 minutes. And that's, once the game was settled in our favour at 2-0, we absolutely didn't see that. In fact, the only really positive spell in that game was the start of the second half until we got the second goal. And this switching on and off of the intensity switch, it's been an issue all season. And... What's, what's it down to? I, I don't know. If any of us knew, we'd be we'd be millionaires and master psychologists because because I really can't explain it. I don't think it's coming from the manager. It, it could be. Um, that would be strange. But it's just something about this team and certainly some of the themes that we saw on Friday night have been repeated again tonight. There's no question about that. However, as a whole piece, obviously I thought it was relatively professional. We scored a couple of decent goals we had a lot of possession. We didn't look like scoring all too many more goals and it probably exposed some real flaws in some of the fringe players that we probably already knew about, like Shaden Morris and uh, Papi Habib Guy. So, yeah, uh, I, I just thought there's very little that you can actually infer from a game like this, which is Premier League opposition against um, bottom of League 2. Very little indeed. You know, certainly the following day we saw Hearts and Hibs both struggle against lower league opposition, and it's so typical because it's a complete no-win situation. If we'd gone there and won 6-0 on Friday, Friday, broadly it's what people would have expected and that's what they would have said. The only thing that we really had to avoid was the defeat, such as we'd seen 
the year before, infamously. So, so I thought it was a little bit harsh on, on that score in that I thought it was relatively comfortable, but I still would have liked to have seen a great deal more once the game was done at 2-0. I thought there was just that, okay, we're just going to manage it, we're just going to see it out. Which was really disappointing, because as I say, that, this team does not have that level of credit in the bank. Yeah. Martin, taking the, the more glass-half-full outlook in relation to that, I think a lot of people pointed out that there were a number of uh, factors in relation to that match that, that needed to be taken into account. As Richard said to begin with, you know, it is, at the end of the day, a comfortable performance and getting a result. Um, even if it isn't uh, a hugely impressive performance, it's it's the result that you would expect a, a team to to go and get. The, the the weather conditions weren't particularly conducive to good football. Um, we we seem every every few podcasts or so we bemoan the standards of plastic pitches at places like New Douglas Park, so that has to be factored in as well. Um, but the reality is we have we have ground out a, a, a result that we had to get. Uh, against a team that we should be beating. We we know from 12 months ago that such outcomes are, are not to be taken for granted. Um, the BBC Scotland obviously spent an incredible amount of time hoping that uh, Lightning would strike twice again, but it didn't. The important thing is we, we got ourselves into the, the, the hat for the next round and we've got ourselves another very uh, promising fixture to look forward to at home against Bonnie Rig Rose on 10th of February. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we did the absolute bare minimum. Um, you know, and the truth is, as long as you win the game, um, I think that, you know, after the game, um, Nicky Devlin said basically as much himself, said, you know, it was, you no, know, he just needed to be, pretty much just said they need to be professional. You know, people were looking, people were looking for the banana skin, looking for the upset, probably hoping for the upset. Um, so you just have to, you, it just needed, needed no a professional performance and to get through it. Um, yeah. we'd have, as you say, we'd have liked more goals. Uh, we'd have probably liked, you know, us to kind of maybe, you know, put the foot on the throat a little bit and get, you know, and rack up, rack up a bit of a, a bit of a score. You know, we've seen, we've seen other, you know, we've seen other teams do that to us um, when, you know, when games are finished, when that game, I mean, that game was finished at 2-0 and you've seen, you know, like, like that, that that last ten minutes against Celtic, for example, when we just fell apart, and they had no, they had the foot or the, their their foot on our throat till the ninety eighth minute. Um, maybe we'd have liked to see you know, a bit more, a bit more intent towards the end, as Richard says, Habib guy. What a, what a, that's, a, that's an interesting character, um, you know, Shaden Morris as well. Ach, I don't know, um, yeah, not for, he's he's not for me, but. I mean, all that really matters, yeah, like you say, glass half full, we're through. Um, it was you no know, professional performance. You know, cut, get get a couple a couple of goals, um, and we've got ourselves in a draw. And then we've, now we find ourselves a nice a nice easy Saturday three p.m. cup cup tie at home um, against you know against lower league opposition again. What more can you ask for? Yeah, and, and and before I move off on that, I mean, it, something that you just touched on at the end there, Martin, that I think is maybe worth a bit of reflection going forward, and I'll, I'll, I'll maybe envelope that in with thoughts on what we might want to be doing in the January transfer window, because it, it was kind of telling that even against um, opposition of the standard of Clyde, um, 
we're talking about Barry Robson again. It was consistent with what he did last season, wanting to really stick with a, a kind of chosen starting eleven and relying very heavily on 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 that team. But it was quite eye opening how little um, genuine quality options were available to us. Because I kind of agree, I, you, the performances from the likes of Gay and uh, and from Shaden Morris did not leave a lot to be desired. And for all that we've talked about a, 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 a team with an awful lot of squad depth, is that maybe proven to be a bit more illusionary than, than we thought? And, and if so, what, what might we need to be looking at in, in the January transfer window to be able to turn that around? I mean, there's plenty of bodies on the bench. Um, you know, obviously, Jen, I think Jensen, you know, said last week, you know, I like Jensen. I think he's a good player there. Sockler is a good player. Um, you know, obviously, Duncan's there. McDonald's there. So there's, there's what, on, the, on the face of it, there is depth and there's options there. But Barry Robson's under pressure. Um, and so you, you, going, going and winning that Ross County game, if he'd made three or four, maybe even five changes, which he was never going to do, but had he done it just hypothetically, and you know we got into, let's say we'd got into an hour or even half time at, at, at nil-nil, um, boy, the knives would have been out. Uh, so I can understand why he's sticking. He's sticking with the same eleven. Uh, whether it's the best eleven is a probably a whole different podcast. Um, but there's definite, you know, there's definite needs for and needs for some bodies to come in. And as Richard mentioned earlier, it's you know we're the whole the whole the, the weighting of the squad is was designed to be playing sort of the three at the back. So we don't have really any proper natural width. So if if you know if we're going to be go if we're going to be playing four two three one or whatever four three three or whatever like that, we need to, there, he needs to be look at the need to be looking at getting some some actual wide players in because um, at the moment it's basically there's Johnny Hayes on the bench um, and maybe you know maybe Shady Mo but that's about it isn't it? Well, you got Ryan Duncan potentially as well, but you know Ryan Duncan has had a disappointing season. Um, He's not. He's had a decent amount of playing time, certainly in the early part of the season, and he's not really made that much of an impression, unfortunately. Um, but again, some of that will have been at wing back, which I don't think is his natural position, and um, I, I think he probably would be more effective as an out-and-out winger. So, um, so he's one of the, the few kind of genuine wide options you've got, but yeah, not really being utilised in that. It, it, it's these players that we have that they. They have been bought as either centre half, so they've been bought as wing backs, so they've been bought as strikers. We don't have many of those players in the squad, if any, who who can perform well in a couple of different roles. You know, um, we've been asking uh, Lopez to play out wide, left of a three. Sometimes that's not his natural position. He doesn't seem very comfortable there. I don't think Sockler would be comfortable there. And as much as I don't want to right off Guy after what is 109 minutes of competitive action for Aberdeen uh, across six different games um, as far as I can tell he is just a, just an out, an out striker as well so it's the it's the, the sort of rigid nature of some of these players and I think if this had been a sort of a squad that had been put together by a sort of old school manager in the sort of Derek McInnes mode I think you would have more players that were more versatile. I think that is a trait that would have been more highly valued 
by a manager than by um, a squad that's been put together by a recruitment head of recruitment, which is obviously what's happened here. So uh, I do think we're kind of hamstrung by, by the way in which we built the squad. And I'll come back to this again. I think we've also been hamstrung by the quality that's in the squad because I don't think any of our... I've very laid into Kelly earlier on tonight and that's not this last summer's problem, but I don't think any of the defenders we've brought in are really up to, up to scratch. Do you? I, I know you were trying to make a case for Stefan Gartman the other week, uh, Martin, but I, I think each and every one of the, the back line of those centre-halves I've got question marks against them. I think, if you're asking uh, me, um, I think there is enough about some of the defenders. I mean, from my perspective, I I may well be leading in with a bit of my uh, 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 Danaphilia bias in relation to Stefan Garterman. But I think with regards to him and, and Richard Jensen, they are players of a calibre that I think are, again, there's maybe a different discussions about if it's a calibre that you would ultimately want to have in a team that is genuinely regularly challenging, uh, not only for third place, but trying to, you know, bridge that gap between the the, the best of the rest and, and the two teams at the top. So there's there's maybe a different discussion around that. But in terms of what's available in the league, I would say that the likes of Gartenman and, and Jensen are as, as good, if not better, than... The, the standard of defenders which are available amongst the other teams in and around us in the league. And I think it's as much about how do we get the best out of those resources more so than how good they actually are. But um, obviously, if there was an awful lot better available that we were able to get hold of, then um, I'd, I'd, I'd bite someone's hands off. Um, um, it's interesting, of course, in relation to defence, there was a, a couple of people that definitely didn't cut it in terms of uh, Ordadia and Reese Williams, and um, I think it was a correct decision to um, get those two players off of off of the bench. Um, where there's a, a likelihood of anyone else coming in, um, I know Matty Pollock had made, um, well, well, he had not personally made it known, but sources around Watford had made it known that he was looking for a, a transfer away. Um, I'd be delighted if it was an opportunity for him to to, to, to come back but but in fairness as, as, as poor as the situation is defensively it's it's by no means the the the, the only or potentially even the, the greatest area of need in that regard I mean as you say we're if you're looking for creativity and and, and the ability to be able to play wide and and, and attack teams that way we we're, we're in a kind of dire state of affairs and it's quite quite the irony that in the space of around oh, maybe 18 months, we went from a team that um, uh, had five or six wingers and we ended up reverting into a style of play which didn't use any to a situation now where if we wanted the opportunity to, to move to that style of football, we've just got, you know, a real a real lack of resource in order to be able to do it. So to, to, to either of you, I mean, do you think that's a likely avenue in relation to bringing players in through the door? Or do, do you think, I mean, we're only seven days away from the, the window closing again. Do you think there's likely to be likelihood to be much of movement at all in, in the in the in direction? I'm actually relatively, relatively ambivalent, despite the fact that I spent the last five minutes outlining where the weaknesses in the squad are. and They do need to be addressed, but I'm, I'm equally relatively ambivalent because I do believe as much as as much as I, I, I am not overly impressed with the standard that we've brought in, I still think there should be we should be able to extract more out of this squad. 
uh, and there have been some positives. Clearly, there have been some positives in terms of some of the players we've brought in. Tellingly, there are guys who have played in this league before, uh, as in Devlin and McGrath. And I don't think we can discount the fact that players do need some time to settle. Some players need longer to settle than others. Some players instantly adapt and do well from day one. Some players do well at the outset and fade away badly. You know, we're seeing all these different character types within our squad. Um, but yeah, to me, obviously, the most glaring, most glaring thing for me is that is that wide creative player. I think at number ten, McGrath is maybe not the sort of classic number ten, but I think he he is doing a solid job of scoring goals, supporting the striker. But um, yeah, he's maybe not that kind of inventive, creative number ten that Clarkson could be if we unleash him. But you know, holding midfielder again, I was kind of hoping maybe we might do something in the direction of Alan Campbell. I don't know how realistic that is. Um, I think he'd be a very good addition. Again, somebody we know can perform well in this league. Um, I don't know if it's realistic to get him permanently. Probably out of our price range, to be honest. I don't know his, uh, how long he's got left at, at Luton. Um, obviously, he went to a championship club in the first half of the season and uh, sort of sporadic minutes and not a championship club at the top end of the table either. So that's a piece of business I would like to see us do equally it kind of feels in the centre of the midfield that we've got enough bodies there um, but maybe that sort of energy might be might be something we can use um, with regards to Williams and Dadia you know Williams just wasn't out of the picture he was so far out of the picture the only time Williams actually made a match day squad let alone, because because he didn't see a minute on the pitch. The only time he he made a matchday squad was in Europe. That's the only time he made a matchday squad. And of course, in Europe, you get twelve substitutes. So he made a squad of twenty four, but he never once made a domestic squad of twenty. Blimey! The talk about being out of the picture. Um, just just. God only knows what happened there between the the scouting and him and him turning up and not even coming close to featuring for an Aberdeen first team. Yeah, when you, you think about uh, previous examples of uh, players coming to the club with uh, premiership background, I mean, I think even for as, as, as ill-fated as the Matty Longstaff uh, situation was, I think, as you say, that that has to trump it. I, I hadn't, hadn't realised that he hadn't made a single matchday squad domestically, which which is as damning as it really gets. Um, anyway, um, moving on from that to return to our situation in the league, the, the result tonight um, sees Aberdeen pick up uh, a solitary point. It does move us above Dundee in the league table, but we are still in the bottom half of the table as things stand on 23 points, um, albeit with... Uh, a few games still in hand, um, but the the next of those games coming up is uh, a very very significant one as we go to Tyne Castle on Saturday afternoon to take on Hearts. Martin, um, I think that's a, a fixture that I think we all knew that was uh, a game that in reality we will have to get a result out of uh, even before this week's fixtures. But it um, already feels like tonight's result off of the back of. 
um, what happened last night. It, it, it really did feel at halftime at Dens Park when Hearts were trailing 2-0 that there was going to be a, 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 an opportunity to start clawing some, some of that um, deficit back. Um, but they managed to show a bit of grit and resolve and uh, pull a result out at the at the at the death to to win three two, and Aberdeen by comparison managed to snatch, uh, well not a defeat but uh, snatch a, a draw from the jaws of victory at least uh, tonight. So the gap now sits at sixteen points off of Hearts, albeit we've got three games in hand over them. But um, realistically, we're going to have to get a result on Saturday, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, look, if, we, if, we, if we've got any aspirations of finishing third, then truthfully, we're going to have to approach every game every game now as must win. Um, particularly, I mean, this one and this one on Saturday. If we lose on Saturday, um, you know, 19, a 19-point 19 difference, um, you know, even, even the most optimistic Dons fan would probably say that, you know, that's still it's it's not doable um, if we if we lose so we we'll have we we'll have to get something on Saturday it has to be a, I think it has to be a, a victory if we're going to, if we know if we've got that aspirations of being being in third place um, but you know just it's that's that's like that that result last night obviously half time that's what that's what football does it does to you you know just it's the hope that kills you sometimes um, you know I'm not going to lie lie no I saw that half time result. And immediately, my thoughts came. My thoughts went to tonight, thinking, "Right, brilliant! They're going to drop three. We just need to go down, go down to McDermott Park, be professional, get out of there with it. No, doesn't matter how how we get the result, just get the three points." And lo and behold, you know, as you say, a bit of grit, a bit of determination. You know, probably got probably got a bit of a rocket at halftime in the dressing room for the manager, and they managed to get themselves, you know get themselves back at the game and get the victory. You compare that to, to ourselves where you know a lot of times we didn't just we didn't show the desire we needed to try and win the game tonight. Um, and instead so in, you find yourselves you no know, we found ourselves another further two points behind them. Um it's kinda of worrying but um the, <laughs> the the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team, you know, if we go down there and somehow manage to get a result on Saturday um, obviously, I'd be delighted, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me um, the way we've been this season. Yeah, and Richard, maybe again, trying to adopt the glass half full approach here, the um, start to the season with three away fixtures, they've all been against teams that to a greater or lesser extent um, have uh, tried to hold out against us. And I don't think there's any chance that Hearts are going to be adopting uh, 11 men behind the ball in the low block um, they will quite rightly being the home team and, and, and fancying themselves I dare say to be the better team will, are going to come out and try and put us to the sword So, and that, that may of course be what transpires but there is maybe a little bit of hope there to say that um, that kind of a game might in actual fact uh, fall more comfortably into Barry Robson's wheelhouse of uh, uh, being uh, a team that looks to take take advantage and exploit any any weaknesses when a team's coming onto us and um, transitioning forward and catching teams out on the break. So, is there? Am I, am I being foolish to think that this might actually be a a, a a game plan that might suit us if we 
uh, adopt a set of tactics which don't involve just hoofing the ball up the park on a semi-regular basis. I mean, we shouldn't kid ourselves. Hearts are a distinctly average football team, and we have beaten better teams than Hearts already this season. However, lads, it's Tynecastle. We're not going to win. It's uh, 11 consecutive games now without a win at Tynecastle, and astoundingly, not even all of them have been defeats. It probably it would have been uh, more games in that time, but, but there were no games that I can see in the record for season 2021. I don't know what happened during that season. Um, I don't know whether... Um, can anyone it it must be some bizarre statistical season? anomaly. I can see some other gaps as well if you look further back. I, I, I can't explain it myself. I don't know why a team would disappear from the league this season. Can anyone help on that score? Anyway, if I want to impress you further, by the way, this century, six wins at Tynecastle and 41 visits. Six. Um, yeah. yeah. We're not going to win. We get... We, play well, play badly, it doesn't matter, we're still not going to win. We don't win at Tynecastle, they don't win at Pataudry. That just appears to be the weird imbalance about this fixture. Um, yeah, we we certainly shouldn't believe that we can't win, but we won't win. So, <laughs> so wrapping things up on that positive note, and, and, and I'll maybe come back to you, Martin. If, if we take that uh, hypothesis that we won't win at Tynecastle on Saturday. What does that mean for Aberdeen for the rest of the season? Because we may well very quickly find ourselves in a situation where, um, and again, I, I, I once once bitten twice shy, I, I, I very confidently and soundly wrote off Aberdeen's chances of finishing third around about this time last year and um, was very, very pleasantly surprised to find otherwise. But yeah, again, lest we forget, there was a game at Tynecastle that everyone was hanging their hat on being absolutely make or break for Aberdeen to make up the gap on Hearts. We lost 5-0. We're all assuming that night it's gone. Things actually got worse after that point and we, we still clawed it back. So it, it's not out of the realms of possibility still. Nothing's gone until it's gone. But, you know, I, I think you'd be looking at every single egg that you can find in the near vicinity, sticking them in a big basket on the Scottish Cup. Because I would love, it would be so hilarious if Hearts had... Uh, if Hearts did finish third, and then obviously I would love it if we won the Scottish Cup, even if there weren't any other tangible reward. But for us to for that to be the outcome at the end of the season would be so perfect, so so yeah. perfect. And 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 if that was how it transpired, I mean, obviously, if we win the Scottish Cup, then everything else can go by the wayside. I mean, I mean, short of actually getting relegated, but I mean, again, anything else goes by the wayside if we actually manage to get silverware at the end of the season. But but Martin, if if that ultimately didn't transpire to be the case um, in terms of the long-term evaluation of Aberdeen's season, if it peters out to some form of mid-table mediocrity, either either if it's sneaking one of the tail-end European places or, 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 or not, um, and getting another decent Scottish Cup run, it looks very likely we'll be making at least the quarterfinals. Um, over the course of that season, would that be enough to persuade you that uh, we we continue to be on the right course with the management team in place, um, or basically what, what 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 would you be expecting between now and the next and, and the end of the season that would be, um, if not success, at least satisfactory? I mean, satisfactory. Wow. Um, so, uh, oh, I, I mean, if we, if we if we lose on Saturday. Um, I think, like I say, I think that's 
you know, it's probably it's too insurmountable a, a, a points difference to do. So then your focus becomes, well, we have to aim for fourth then, and and hope that hope beyond hope that you know if we can do enough to get fourth, which um, I think is only eight points difference. Then yeah, I mean, for, for, fourth. I mean, it's, it's maybe a bit distorting with the number of games we still have in hand, yeah, but it really is. After Hearts, it's just it's yet again. It's a, it's just a glob of teams around each other. You're right. Kilmarnock's on thirty-one points, and um, this this the the while we're eight points behind them, we have three games in hand. So really, um, even even if we don't get a result on Saturday, I think it's still very very realistic that we could end up in fourth place. Yeah, and I think I think that would have to be have to be what you would aim for, and then like like last last season against all all type of logic, any sort of common sense, I was still convinced we would get third last season. Um, even I think that we might we might just struggle to get it this season. Um, but you know, obviously delayed if we do, but um, it does it looks very very unlikely. Um, so we. But this, this team just needs to. We, we we need to try and put some. They need to try and put some consistency together. And whether that's but no, will be helped by getting some bodies in, um, you know. But the, the the best option. I mean, the best option. The best way of probably getting that get, securing that European football in that place is, is by getting to getting in the Scottish Cup final and winning it. Um, because I think that you know, as Richard says, that would be would be fantastically hilarious. Um, if we manage to screw hearts over like that, um, it would be brilliant. But you know, we just this team just needs to you know, concentrate on trying to win some games um, and getting further up the table. You know, the games in hand, you know, are gonna are gonna be coming thick and fast. So once we catch up, I mean, we forget that I think Dundee Dundee are sitting below us. They've also got the same amount of games in hand, and only a point behind us. Now, while I think we're a better team than Dundee. Um, you know, we've still got to go. We've still got to go play them. Um, so, and there's actually very little evidence this season to suggest we are any better than Dundee, Kilmarnock, St Mirren. At, at least not domestically. You know, they are all teams that have uh, performed well on occasion, put together some good runs. I, I, I think the focus just has to be at this point in time, game by game by game. And I don't mean that in a way in which every game gets over-analysed and we have a crisis point at the end of every game that we don't win or if we do win and win quite convincingly we're suddenly magnificent again because the way in which that has infected football and you know we are part of the problem unquestionably we are part of the problem endless Twitter accounts endless Instagram accounts endless podcasts all desperately trying to pour over every detail of a football match you know, I've got news for you lads, there were shite Aberdeen performances well before 2015 and there'll be shite Aberdeen performances <laughs> once the concept of podcast is buried deep in the ground. It's, it's this overanalyzing and this crisis point if we lose two games in a row, drop points two games in a row. This is obviously, you have to give teams the opportunity to show them, to show you what they are. Now, I think over the course of this season, we've had challenges on a number of different fronts and they've shown us a range of faces. I really want to understand more about what this team actually is at its heart. Um, is it a team that can battle back against adversity? Is it a team that's got, got the right blend, got the right mix and is able to 
put together a string of results like we hope it can? Or is it a team that's just not going to be up for the challenge and not going to be up for the battle? And I don't, and I think that's still to unfold. I really do believe that the story of this season is not quite yet fully written. And that I don't think we can sit here and say, especially with the imbalance in the number of games played, if this is a positive season or a negative season. I think the Scottish Cup has got to be a huge focus for this team. It's a favourable draw in the uh, fifth round. We don't know what uh, awaits after that. I would rather have had some more all-premiership ties uh, elsewhere, though, to knock out some of the opposition. It seems that it's going to be quite a, a stacked quarter-final. Um, do we have the balls to win three potentially big games in a row? Yeah, that, that's got to be the concern, because this team have, as of yet not shown anything domestically to suggest that, that they can produce the odd performance, but can they do it when the chips are down? Can they do it in successive matches? And that's really not what we've seen. Well, on that super positive note, I think I'll call this uh, podcast to a close. Uh, my thanks once again to Martin Clunas. Thanks very much, Martin. No, no, let's just try and remain positive. I'm sure it'll all come, it'll all become good in the end. It'll all be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and to Richard Hay. Yeah, I, and I, I think that that's uh, a perfect summation of nothing whatsoever, Martin. What the hell is that, honestly? <laughs> so, in spite, in spite of. Uh, the Richard Hay uh, guarantee that we will absolutely not get a result at Tynecastle on Saturday. Hopefully, I think we'll all hope that that comes, uh, that prediction comes back and uh, bites him. Um, until then, come on, you Reds.